Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 31. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host for this program. Thank you so much for joining me again as I continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and the many modalities of helping each and every one of us find balance in our individual journeys. We are always so excited to meet those who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet. Today, we have a very special individual with us. His name is Brian Leaf, and he is the author of this book, The Misadventures of a Garden State Yogi. (laughs) Just by the title itself, you can imagine what's in the book already. Hello and welcome, Brian, to our show. How are you today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's wonderful to have you on. It's um, it's a, a true pleasure uh, to know that we're your first Skype interview. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Brian, um, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, where you grew up and the things that might have influenced you? Uh, so, let's see. I grew up in uh, New Jersey. That's the Garden State. Uh, and I, uh, uh, so, so influences as far as, uh, you know, getting into holistic health and getting into yoga. When I was in high school, I was a very serious student. I was very stressed out and, uh, I, uh, you know, high achieving and just trying really hard. And, you know, people used to joke that I was going to give myself an ulcer. And ultimately <laughs> I, I, I did in a way, actually, uh, I never even thought about it till just now in that way, but. Uh, so when I was in high school, I came down with ulcerative colitis, um, which is basically an ulcer, but in the colon. And that's uh, interesting. Yeah. And I think it's, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it's a little bit rare for younger people. Um, but I was about 16, 17 when I had it Hmm. and, uh, you know, it's very serious. I mean, I lost a lot of weight and, you know, your body doesn't, my body wasn't digesting correctly and I, um, you know, had very low energy. Uh, but anyway, so so first of all, when I was in high school, I came down with this. My very very first like uh, touch into holistic health was I was in this uh, this um, uh, like a leadership group, and it was very touchy feely, and it was the first time I had ever experienced anything like that. And it was like I, you know, I just opened up. It was like I suddenly was at home. You know, I knew, you know, that I was going to do something along those lines. But then finally, it was when I went to Georgetown for college that I started taking yoga, um, and that's when I got into it. So, so in in your childhood, I mean, were your parents or any other family members into anything holistic or yoga, meditation? That time, my immediate family, no. I had a, um, I had an aunt actually who uh, was very much into things like that at the time. Hmm. She was macrobiotic, and she was, uh, you know, she she did TM back in the seventies. Wow. Uh, actually, you know, <clears throat> yeah, she was considered, you know, like sort of weird by some of the family. <laughs> And they they think that we thought we're crazy, you know, like they'd come over to the house and they'd say, uh, oh, you know, since we started being macrobiotic, our nails are just so much, you know, clearer. And, you know, now that makes total sense to me. I mean, I, even, you know, I know about nail diagnosis and all sorts of things. But at the time, we just thought that was so insane. You know, we just thought that was so crazy. <laughs> um, and, you know, I remember, I remember being little and if they were meditating, you weren't allowed to go interrupt them. Uh, and I remember that they used to sometimes take out herbal tea bags from their, from my, my aunt's purse. And, uh, you know, my, my, uh, parents would say, I'll oh, be careful with that. You know, don't, don't have any of that. <laughs> <You> know, we, 
sort of terrified of it. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, yeah. so, so you did have a, a little. It wasn't really an influence, but it was an experience of of parts of that world. Yeah, I mean, it was an influence too because it definitely planted a seed, you know. And once I started getting into it, it gave me kind of a grounding for this new stuff I was getting into, and it, you know, it gave me someone to process it with and that sort of thing. Oh, so you continued a dialogue with her? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, once I got into yoga and meditation, then. We had a great time, you know. We would do it together, or talk about it, or she would give me advice. Wow, that's nice. That's oh, yeah. nice. <clears throat> and and do you have other siblings as well? Uh huh. I have a sister and a brother. Uh, my brother's in New Jersey, and my sister's in Burlington, Vermont. And are they at all into yoga or anything that you do? My brother a little bit. Um, and for a while, actually, when I was living uh, for a while in New Jersey after college. Uh, he used to come to my class every week, and it was great. It was really fun. We had a good time. And he was a natural. You know, it runs in the family, I like to think. Um, <laughs> and, uh, my sister is very much into it. Uh, she's a therapist in, in Vermont, and uh, she's very much into yoga. She teaches mindfulness groups, actually. She teaches, um, you know, mindfulness-based, uh, you know, or she she runs groups in the style of John Kabat-Zinn, that sort mm. of work. Oh, wonderful. So So you've all kind of spread out into that. That way of life, but your parents never approached it at all. Oh, I no, they're open to it. I mean, you know, we're very close family, so whatever I do, they're curious about. Uh, my paternal grandpa, I remember who uh, he's he's you know he's passed away a while ago. He'd be in his you know early hundreds now, but yeah, he uh, he, uh, he had a big, he had a very heavy accent, and I remember he had a very hard time understanding it. But he always used to say to me, "What is this holistics?" He just couldn't understand. <laughs> And, you know, he loved me so much, he wanted to understand it. Oh. But, and you know what I always think, ironically, is that um, a lot of the things that, you know, that we stand for now or that I stand for um, were really actually kind of just organically present 100 years ago, let's say. I mean, my grandma, you know, she, if you think about it, uh, you know, 80, 90 years ago in the old country, mm -hmm. I mean, everything they ate was pretty much local and organic, probably. Right. Um I mean, they may not have done sun salutations, but, you know, the, <laughs> the things that we are fighting for now or have to work so hard to get yes. were really just, you know, very present then. I mean, they, you know, they ate mostly fresh food, probably, mm -hmm. maybe not enough of it sometimes, for sure. Mm -hmm. but, uh, and and really more towards what I what I would think would be more like the Ayurvedic lifestyle, because depending on the seasons, they would eat the food of those seasons. You had no choice, did you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. It's very true. I mean, they, uh, you know, if they were going to eat meat that day, it probably came from the butcher that same day. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, so uh, are you second generation here in the U.S.? Yeah. Yeah. My father came over. Uh, and my mother actually was born here, but my father came over. And where, where are they originally from? Uh, well, my father, uh, you know, the borders have changed a lot, right, in, in you know, Eastern Europe. Yes. But uh, Poland and Austria and Germany, that region. Mm. Yeah, my grandpa, who looks a lot like me, was a teacher, uh, and you know now I, I one of the things I do is teach. I teach all different kinds of things, but mm. that's that's exceptional. It's wonderful how how it just sort of comes down in the through line, right, of of the family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So, Brian, what I mean, I I realize you have written. This is your eleventh book that you've written. Is that correct? 
That's right. Yeah. Eleven books. So, so, and you were mentioning to me a little earlier, off air, of course, that the other, the first ten books, they were more text form, like text books. Right. So a long time ago, when I first had the idea, you know, this urge, I guess every author must at some point have this bizarre sort of urge that you want to write a book. <laughs> uh, and so when I first wanted to write a book, I knew I was going to write two books at that time. One would be like, a, so there's two things I do for work. I do uh, like tutoring um, with uh, academic skills and building confidence. And I even do, I do a lot of test prep. And so I knew one book was going to be related to that. And then I knew the other book was going to be related to yoga. Um, and I imagined the yoga book was going to be kind of a how-to book. And when I started sitting down to write it, it became this, uh, you know, what I hope is a very, very funny memoir and inspiring, I hope, too. It was not what I expected, actually. Even when I first it, uh, I had an agent for the other books. And, uh, and when I first pitched him this idea for the yoga book, you know, he was a little taken aback, I think. <laughs> We really parted ways, actually. He wasn't comfortable with it. You know, it was so different than what I had done before. But yeah, so the first 10 books were uh, um, voc mostly vocabulary workbooks, actually. And mm. funny enough, uh, how to, uh, one of my specialties in the books is helping kids learn vocabulary through things they're already doing uh, right. through or whatever. So I wrote four books. This is very funny. I'm sure this is the first time anyone on your show has anything <laughs> said anything like this. But I wrote four books. Um, that were based on the Twilight Saga, uh, you know, the wildly popular Twilight. Yes. Yeah. So, like I say, probably the first mention of Twilight on the show. But uh, wow, so I wrote four books that show because it turns out, for whatever reason, that in the Twilight books, there's really a uh, high level vocabulary. Anyway, so I wrote those books, and the thing was, they were great books. Um, I mean, in a way, you know, I think they're helpful. It's nice to meet kids where they're at. You know, okay, mm -hmm. you're you books, learn vocabulary. But the problem for me was that. Um, I felt when I was writing those books that I kind of left myself a little bit like mm. it's not what I, you know, vocabulary is nice. And, you know, the Twilight Saga, you know, people have different opinions on it, but it's not in my heart, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, I, like, you know, I feel like it's so important for each of us to pursue our passion. I just think there's a lot of vitality in pursuing your passion fearlessly, you know, pursuing passion yes. and doing those books. You know, I guess in a way I was I was following the energy, but I was also meeting the marketplace. And there's nothing wrong with that, but my heart wasn't in it. And mm -hmm. I think when my heart isn't in it, at least for me, I don't know, just my vitality gets lower. It's almost like depression, really. And so this new book, the this 11th book, uh, this passion project that I've done, it really plunked me back into myself. You know, suddenly I was on fire with passion. I mean, I'd be writing, I'd be meditating, I'd be thinking about the book, I'd be Right. You know, when I was writing, it was like I was just filled with energy in a way that none of the other 10 books, you know, felt that way, really. And uh, so that was very healing to be to be so on fire with it. Oh, wonderful. Oh, it, it, that I can we can feel it. We can feel it right through this this lens that that it really sparked you. And and even uh, reading your book, I mean, you know, we, we of course, you know, we, we get many books and and I'm, I'm so glad you didn't do the how to. I, I really am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you, I mean, for us, it it's really, um, you know, there is a lot of how-tos out there. But I also believe in, in the, the way you've brought in humor. I mean, so much humor. And that's where we feel your life. It's, it's like, <laughs> wow, you're just like, um, 
I, I don't want to say you're sort of mocking yourself or mocking your journey. I, I don't want to use those words because that's not really it. But but you're so connected to the realism of life, which is really hilarious. I mean, when we sit back on a daily basis and we look at some of the most absurd things that happen to us. I mean, what can you do but sit back and laugh? You know? Right. And, you know, it's like what happened to you on that payphone and in the middle of the store <laughs> with the you know, with a human pile beside you. I mean, it's <laughs> like I really is. I'm I'm just cracking up. It's like oh dear, because you know it happened. You know, it's it's not like like something that is so out of this planet that it, you kind of go oh you question it. It's it, your book is so real. Mm, thank you. And it's really, really a thrill, really a thrill. That's that's the really. I'm glad to hear you say that too, because that's like the what's involved to be um, for me, and I'm sure for many, you know, meditators, the the chief goal of my meditation practice. Really, I call mm -hmm. it becoming most real. You know, the goal is to just really see what is truly right here in front of me. And I guess you know, uh, to go back to the example of switching from writing the vocabulary workbooks to the yoga book, that's an example. You know, it's just to see reality clearly and respond to what's really true for me. You know, mm -hmm. I think if each of us lives our passion, I don't know, I just think it would be a smoothly flowing world, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, so the point of my meditation is to just really notice what am I really doing right now? You know, what, what's at the core of it all? And yeah, I think those core experiences are very real, you know? <laughs> I mean, we're all these sort of, you know, flesh and, this imperfect, you know, pile of flesh, and it's so imperfect, and it's so real, and it's so funny, really. It, it is hilarious. <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it's uh, those moments that you were able to capture out of your own life. I mean, I, I could see images of this, like scenes in a movie that would just be absolutely hilarious, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but and it's 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 quick, and you you don't dwell on something too long. You just keep moving. The book just keeps moving beautifully. It's almost like you've You've shared such a intimate portions of your life with such humor. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was curious, you know, talk about my family earlier. It was it was interesting, you know, to uh, to have my family read the book, and everybody responded really, really well. I was wondering, you know, because I really did lay lay it all out there in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, but everybody has been really supportive, and I think I think people have had the same experience you're describing, where it just feels really real, you know. So it's. I think people are comfortable in authenticity. You know, people are comfortable in real. I mean, it's what we all really want is just to connect. You know, anytime we hold up airs and we um, try to be a certain way, we're not as connected. Right. And so um, I think that's all, you know, people want is just to really just drop it and connect, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that everyone uh, is, is coming more and more into feeling comfortable with that because, you know, I think culturally, societally, we're, we've all been raised with a certain way of being. And, and it's that way of being that sort of removed us from connecting, you know, with our core and, and who we really are, right? We kind of, ah, you know, here are the etiquettes, but where are you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think the etiquettes really, I mean, it's nice to, I, I, it's important to know the etiquettes for when, you know, it's needed. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think those kind of etiquettes, Anything that separates us from our, our, you know, our heart and our gut, it just, I think it just only causes suffering and, and people being disconnected and unhappy. Yes. And we had a, a question that actually came in for you right now. Um, did you find any unforeseen knowledge about yourself while writing this book? 
Hmm, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, let's see. Well, I, I'm not sure, but let me start by saying, you know, uh, I, so I wrote a master's thesis in uh, Ayurveda, right? I did an independent study in Ayurveda uh, through Lesley College. And when I was doing that, you know, I really, by writing the master's thesis, and this is true for anybody who writes a dissertation or a master's thesis, I really cemented the knowledge of what I'd learned about Ayurveda, you know, processing it and processing it and processing it with the, in writing the thesis, I really cemented the knowledge in and integrated it, you know? So I'm sure I did learn new things about myself, but the first thing that occurs to me is in writing the, the book and writing the memoir, you know, that in and of itself was a very powerful experience because I, I wound up, you know, it was like doing really good psychotherapy. I, I processed my own life, you know, I, I processed and integrated my lessons, my, my, uh, you know, what I believe uh, about the world and the way it works and um, and about, uh, you know, my meditation practice. You know, I, I even thought about how to describe it to somebody, you know, what I do and probably what we all do when we meditate. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, just as writing a master's thesis in Ayurveda was, or any master's thesis would be, it really like clarified and integrated the knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then I guess even more direct to that question would be um, that, in writing the book, I, I really allowed myself to to um, really take a big leap. I mean, a leap of faith. You know, I wasn't making a lot of money for the book, um, and I spent a lot of time on it. And I just really followed my heart. I just really followed my passion. Um, and I knew I was on the right track because, like I said, when I was writing it, I mean, I just felt like radiating energy. You know, I just felt like rainbows coming out of my head. Um, and I meaning that I just knew I was in the right place. Yes. So I guess one of the things I really learned, and something I've been working on for many years is, you know, and I, and I still work very hard on is tuning into and following that guidance, mm-hmm. which, which I think comes through a feeling of vitality, like a feeling of rightness, you know? Mm. And so it helped me to you know, really do that. And, and I think the more we do it, the more one does it, the clearer the messages become. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, it was really a practice in doing that. Well, as they say, it's it's life that is the true yoga, how we live right. life, right? So so here you've put your true yoga into a book. <laughs> um, now, you also, uh, we realize that you've spent a lot of time at Kripalu. And was that after your your university years in Georgetown? Right, yeah. So let's see. So at Georgetown, I found yoga, and that was the type of Shivananda yoga. Mm-hmm. At some uh, Iyengar yoga. Uh, and then after that, a couple other styles. And then it was about a year after I graduated college, I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey. And uh, I found a, a Kripala yoga class. And all the other yogas had really uh, you know, been great for me physically. They'd helped me, um, you know, overcome colitis. Um, they'd helped me, you know, get more in my body and feel more healthy. But Kripala yoga took it to a whole nother level for me. You know, I mm. think, uh, and you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a Kripalu zealot, but I, I don't believe that there's any one style that's, you know, that's obviously right or wrong. Yeah. I think the yogas are there to meet the different constitutions and the different needs of different people. You yes. know, I really think they all suit different people. But for me, Kripalu just really opened me up. Um, you know, as I say in the book, it was the first place where I just felt like the whole me could just show up. It was like, mm. it, was, it was the perfect fit for me. It was like I was at home. Mm. So that was coincidentally, so I, I got involved in Kripal Yoga. I was got really into it right away. I started going to my, my teacher's class in Hoboken. 
um, several times a week and for a bunch of months. And I was planning to do a yoga teacher training. This was in 1994 or five. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But and uh, so one day, a little bit before I was going to go do a teacher training, my yoga teacher came in and she announced that Amrit Desai, the guru of Kripalu, had been asked to step down and leave. I, I don't know if you know about the scandals, you know, 20 years ago that happened there. And so I was devastated, um, you know, because I just, you know, even though I'd never been to Kripalu, even though I was not yet a disciple of Amrit Desai, of, you know, Guru mm-hmm. Dev, is the, um, I just knew this was, I don't know, you just the way you know when you fall in love. You know, I just knew this was my style. <laughs> I was really devastated. So, so I went on a cross-country trip with a friend, and my aim was to find my new style of yoga. Um, this is in the book. It's a lot of the chapters in the book are this. Step. And uh, ultimately, well, I won't, I won't give it away, but obviously I came back to Kripalu Yoga. Um, and so after all that, I did the yoga teacher training and I did a lot of other trainings there. I, I lived there for about half a year mm. and I really, you know, I really adore Kripalu. It's, it's been, uh, you know, a healing sanctuary for me, uh, a home really. Wonderful. Now, now so you did your, your yoga teacher training there. And and you also do several forms of healing arts, right? I've studied so for a number of years. Um, I just really went on this kind of rampage—not a rampage, but just this self-exploration. Great trainings, you know. And I studied craniosacral and massage therapy and yoga and Ayurveda, uh, meditation, uh, black flower essences. I really like those. Yes, and. Uh, you know, and, and through each of them, I just learned more about myself. And I was, I mean, to tell you the truth at the time, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I was very eager to help other people, but I wasn't even really there yet. I was really doing these. I just, it was the only way I could find to go to places and work on healing myself. You know, I, I when I was in Ayurveda school or in the Bakhvara essences, you know, I was really, um, really there healing myself, I think. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, interesting. It, well, as they as they say, it's it's like um, psychotherapists, right? <laughs> right. They they're, they actually start because they're intentionally healing themselves. Actually, <laughs> of uh, of uh, training to be a, a psychotherapist. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So so you talked a little bit about um, your colitis and and how the stress and. And everything that that you held in your body as as a teenager. I mean, for those who have, you know, we we hear it's common. Can you can you give our our listeners who are not familiar with colitis a little bit of of um, uh, definition of what it is and how it affects you? And because you know, it's right in the front of your book is how you healed colitis. And right. you, you can imagine if people are like going, okay, what is that? <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's it's funny when I first sent my book around to, uh, you know, stars who do yoga or whatever to try to get blurbs. Uh, you know, I think some of them would, would pick it up and say, oh, colitis. You know, I don't know if I want to put my, my name on that right now. You know, it's not so sexy, you know, colitis. Uh, but but yeah, so uh, and a lot a lot of people suffer, obviously, from things like this. Um, and it's not something a lot of people talk about. Mm-hmm. But so, so the itis means inflammation, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so colitis, it's like uh, inflammation in the colon. Mm. And the way it manifests is um, it's in the family of like uh, Crohn's, colitis, and IBS, you know, irritable mm-hmm. bowel syndrome. <clears throat> IBS, as far as I know, um, you know, I'm not a doctor, but IBS, as far as I know, is 
sort of the umbrella term when physicians aren't really sure what's going on, you know, and probably it means it's stress related, you know, when someone's GI is not working right mm-hmm. or as effectively as it should be. So the symptoms of colitis, which aren't pretty, um, you know, are, are diarrhea or um, mucus or blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they can be really devastating for people um, because it, according to Ayurveda, for example, the colon is where you, uh, where you take in prana from. And so when the colon is not functioning, I, you know, optimally, then a person has difficulty, has to work harder to take in prana. Mm-hmm. And so there can be low energy. Uh, if you're not digesting right, you know, people lose weight. You know, I'm, I'm not um, a big fella now, but I'm um, 20 pounds lighter when I was very sick, you know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, so colitis is uh, basically, it, like I, I usually say, you know, I don't know if a, a doctor would agree with this. I don't know if they're going to put this into the you know, the medical books. But in my opinion, it's sort of like a, an ulcer in the colon, mm-hmm. basically. Actually, colitis is inflammation of the colon. Ulcerative colitis is usually what people mean when they say colitis. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what right. it's an ulcer in the colon. So yeah. so when you were a teenager, they didn't, I mean, did they change your diet? Did you try medication? So here's here's the story. And here's ultimately what made me really a yoga zealot. I, although I think it was just sort of my, you know, my path to do yoga. But um, you know, yeah, this was just one of the one of the uh, things that universe gave you to prompt you into doing yoga, right? You know, so but so the first round of colitis when I was about sixteen or seventeen, uh, I saw you know eventually I found a doctor who diagnosed me, and I took uh, sulfur meds, you know, it's pharmaceuticals, and that made it go away, and that was great. And then I went off to college, and uh, I'm told that when you have colitis, there's like a a period of return for many people. Um, and so I was, you know, in remission uh, from Cle- they, they call it, you know, they don't say it goes away. They say it goes into remission. So I was in remission. At least this is what my doctors told me, you know, 20 years ago. And I was in remission. And then in college, when I was in university, um, it came back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was very worried and upset um, because uh, here I was at college. And, um, you know, it's very uncomfortable. And it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's just no fun. It's getting yeah. sick, lethargic again. Um, and so, and I remembered that the doctor had told me, that, uh, you know, that when it comes back, it might be harder to get under control. Mm. And, um, you know, they had mentioned all kinds of things like possible surgery, colostomy, um, which means taking out the colon, you know, so I was very upset. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing some meds and it wasn't helping yet. And then, uh, and this is in the book, and then at some point, I, I you know, I, I don't even know how I did. For me, this was a huge leap. But at some point I realized that my yoga practice, uh, you know, I'd been studying yoga about a year and a half at Georgetown now. Um, and suddenly I realized that my yoga practice, the days where I did yoga, I wasn't doing it every day yet, but the days where I did yoga, I felt a little better and my symptoms were a little less. Hmm. Um, and so I made that connection, which seems obvious now, but at the time was a huge leap for me. And so I decided that I was going to self-medicate with yoga. I just had this feeling that I followed. So I started doing yoga multiple times a day. Um, hmm. And I would do... So I would do a bunch of sun salutations followed by relaxation, um, I think four and then maybe five times a day. Um, and after only three days, that was the crazy thing. Um, I wrote in my journal, I remember, when I decided to do this, you know. And uh, and after three days, the symptoms were gone. Uh, wow. and, so I, and, and that was it. And um, I, I stopped taking the meds. I didn't need it anymore. And I was I was better. And it's never returned. Let's see, I think I had, I can't remember, I think two years later, I have to look back at my journals, um, I had a small, you know, uh, it came back, 
And then this time I didn't even try meds at all. I just went into my sun salutations and my relaxation and uh, went away. And uh, it's never returned. That's that's it. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. I mean, so so you were saying very early on in 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 our interview that you were saying that a lot of it was uh, stress related. That I mean, I I would say so certainly. You know, I mean, I think um, I, I explore this a lot in my book, but it's my feeling that so so. By the way, when I when it came back the next time, and I was I did the sun citations by then. I was very much into yoga and I changed my lifestyle and my diet and I was stretching and I, you know, I was living much more kind of naturally and holistically. Mm-hmm. But it's my, you know, the, the, the caller earlier who text, you know, emailed in the question about what did I learn when I was writing the book? And this was one thing that I really processed as I was writing the book and came to some realizations about, you know, the way you come to realizations in therapy or something. And I read that, um, I think that I'm one of those people who, as, as a young person, I was very, very stressed out and I kept it all in. You know, some people, everybody deals with it in different ways. And for me, I basically put it all into my, my gut. You know, mm. into my, a lot of people do that. And I think, you know, and see, I, I'm, I'm more versed in the Ayurveda language than I am in the Western medicine language. But in Ayurveda, and one of the things that appealed to me about Ayurveda actually is that, you know, there's really a language for this. In Ayurveda, um, it's, it's a no-brainer that anger affects the liver and Anxiety affects the colon and, you know, different where, you know, in Western medicine, I don't think we speak too much about that kind of thing. Yes. But yes. I think what I was doing was I was really storing it all down there. And then over time, in Ayurveda, they say actually that if something is blocked, um, it'll basically build up and build up and build up until it eats a hole in the channel and comes out the wrong way. You know, mm. and we yes. like hold in resentment at our partner, you know, over and over and over and over again. Eventually, it sneaks out the side. You know, instead of really, uh, instead of really like proactively and assertively saying, "Hey, you know, bothers me when you do this. Would you mind, you know, not putting your socks on the bed or whatever?" You know, <laughs> we hold that in and hold it in and hold. It. Eventually, it sneaks out the side, and we snap at somebody, you know, or we say something that's not very skillful. Yes. And so, in, in my body, you know, I was holding this anger, this angst, this anxiety, these feelings, this stress. And over time, instead of coming out the correct way, you know, in a healthy way. Um, it came out in an unhealthy way, you know, or it worked itself out in its own way by by eating away at my colon, I think. So over time, you know, I um, through the book, my my process in the book is, you know, learning to deal with anger, learning to deal with angst, learning to deal with anxiety, um, and letting these things out in a natural way so that my body doesn't have to take a hit from it. That's uh, uh, wonderful. It's, uh, your mattress yoga, I call it. <laughs> I love that chapter. <laughs> um, so, so now that all sort of ties in with when you were diagnosed with ADD. Mm-hmm. It's all interlinked, isn't it? Yeah, and very much so, I think. I mean, again, here's another thing that I really felt I came to in writing the book was that, um, so first of all, uh, just to start, so when I was uh, years later, I was living in Princeton and I was seeing a psychotherapist, you know, and, and, uh, she suggested that I had ADD and at first I was very upset and I, I don't know, I just felt like, um, you know, I just felt like does this limit what I can do in the world. You know, I was upset really, let's face it. I was upset because when someone points out, you know, something that really we struggle with, something that challenges us, um, it's hard to hear sometimes. And she was really truth. You know, she was saying, look, you've never held a job for very long. You move around all the time. You know, I see past your facade of free spirit hippie, and I see that you, you know, 
uh, sticking with something, you know? And so I was really upset. And then, so I did some research and that's actually when I found Ayurveda, um, was came upon something and, you know, I already knew about Ayurveda a little bit from yoga, but I hadn't studied it yet. And that's when I came upon something that said there was something in Ayurveda that could look like ADD. Mm. Um, I, I thought, well, maybe just in the way that yoga cured my colitis, um, you know, maybe there's something that could cure my ADD. And cure is a funny word. When I say cure, I mean, I believe my body and mind probably have a proclivity towards colitis and ADD mm-hmm. and chose to live the way I used to live. If I held in stress, if I, you know, ate um, fast food all the time, if I, you know, didn't exercise, um, you know, then I, I suspect my body would go towards colitis. Right. You know, I express my emotions and I express myself and I work on all this. Um, you know, it's a work in progress. It's a work in process. But if I <laughs> and I keep it um, and I, you know, do yoga and I stretch and I don't hold in stress and I um, eat well, then then the colitis never shows up. You know, um, so it's like that. With the, so I wondered about that. So I started studying Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in Ayurveda, for me, at least, uh, ADD is a vata type symptom. It's an airy type symptom. You know, it's like we call somebody an airhead or a space cadet. <laughs> the, the energy of air. An ether, which is expansive, you know, uh, air, you know, expands to meet the size of the container, right? And that's kind of like what I can do. If I don't give myself container, then I can just, you know, overexpand, spaced <laughs> um, out, you know, like surfing the internet, right? Uh, and use Ayurveda to, to kind of rein in the ADD and, you know, meditation to focus my mind. And that was amazing. And it, and it worked. Mm. And it, the book, I also became clear to me. You know, we were talking 30 minutes ago uh, together about, you know, about being most real, about seeing the world as it is and and from our intuition and our heart. And to me, that's what I came to in in writing the book even, is that that's the opposite of ADD, really. You know, ADD is a state, like actually living by etiquette, would lead to ADD in a certain way, I think. Um, Or for for some people, for Vata-type people, it could lead to that because when I was detached from my core, when I was not living from my truth, you know, from my true self, from my, my heart and my intuition, it's like, a, you know, it's, very, it's a very spacey, ungrounded way to be. If I need to think all the time about how to be, mm-hmm. about who I am, about what to say, that's very ungrounded. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm somebody who's has a tendency to be ungrounding, you know, ungrounded, that can be really ungrounding. But to live from my heart, to live from my truth, um, you know, there can be no ADD there. There's really, there's just this, you know, this grounded true. Connection. Yeah. Connection into the core. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Bach flower essences, when I studied that, I was really impressed with Edward Bach, who, who had, um, you know, who invented those. Um, and uh, his whole thing, the whole point of the essences is he believes that disease is a state, any disease is a state where um, our I forget what he calls it. He has certain terms, but like our personality or our ego is if, if our personality or our ego is not representing our truth, mm-hmm. you know, our self, then that's a dissonance which causes disease. And so the purpose of the flower essences is actually to bring a person into harmony so that you're the way you are in the world, your, you know, expression, your, your personality is a direct expression of your true self. And he teaches that that causes, you know, that vitality and, and perfect health. And I think that was so. What a combination! Your Bach remedies with your Ayurvedic. Your family must be super healthy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, 
<laughs> That's wonderful. Um, can I you to, go, go ahead? Maybe, oh, I used to I used to think that I was gonna uh, years ago. You know, I always thought maybe I'm gonna have to pretend to be like very conservative or something, so my kids will rebel and want to get into all this stuff. But, uh, <laughs> And hopefully that, uh, you know, if I present it in a very loving, you know, lovely way that they'll just enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure as long as it's playful, I think kids adapt to anything that's really playful. Right. And I think it keeps the youth in us as well. It keeps the play in us as well. <laughs> um, so now tell us about your new leaf learning center. Yeah, so, um, so that's where I am here. And uh, it's. Um, it's a uh, it's a tutoring center, and so Northampton. I live in Northampton, Mass, and Northampton, Mass is not your everyday place. It's uh, you know, it's one of those enclaves like um, you know, Boulder or Santa Cruz or something. Uh, very, very holistic. You know, people very open, mm. very progressive, and so it's actually why I'm able to have it here. I think really. So I I teach everything from uh, study skills to even you know SAT prep really. Um, and so I don't know that I would do that in a place where everybody's, you know, pushing and wants to get the perfect score. But here, really, parents come to me and they say, you know, help my, my child to feel more confident or more comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I bring the stuff that I've studied. I don't, I don't even uh, – sometimes I prescribe a flower essence for a child. Um, you know, sometimes we do breathing exercises or yoga. A lot of times we don't even do that. But it informs mm -hmm. how I work with them. And to me, you know, I like to use all this stuff basically for one and only one thing, which is to help the, the students build their confidence, you know, to help them feel better about themselves. Um, I think all that really matters, you know. Um, and so that's that's what we do here at the New Living Center. So it's, you know, it's ironic because I'm teaching, you know, it's ironic. My books are SAT and yoga, and that's what I teach is right. SAT. <laughs> to combine them. I actually, funny enough, I actually, uh, years ago, I lived in Princeton, as I said. And I actually used to teach yoga at ETS Corporation, and they're the ones who make the SAT. So I used to oh, I used to teach makers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. So so now see now you have to have a DVD, a yoga DVD, just for them, so that you can uh, have uh, teach them how to just take a moment, right? <laughs> <laughs> during their long days. Um, so what, what are the age of the children that you work with? Um, you know, little kids through adult. I mean, mm -hmm. test prep is always, um, you know, 16, 17-year-old students. Right. Um, oh, you know, uh, in the book I talk about uh, the, the movie, you know the movie Groundhog Day? Uh, I've heard uh, it, but I, wait a minute, maybe I have seen it. I was about to say I don't think I've seen it, but. Oh, uh, it's a great movie. And, and the point in the movie is that he has to relive this this day until he gets it right. Like he's he's a real jerk and he's he's uh, really inauthentic and he's really, you know, he's kind of manipulator and he, he wants to um, be with this woman. I think Andy Dowell, I can't remember who plays her. And just, you know, he'll do anything, lie, cheat, whatever, to, to you know, impress her. And he has to relive the day until he gets it right. Oh my and gosh. It felt like that's what I'm doing here is that, you know, it's like when I got colitis, I was 16. And that's like when I got it wrong, you know. And, <laughs> and one of my students once said to me, like, Brian, don't you get depressed that like, you know, I'll, she said to me, I'll take the SAT this year and next year I'll forget about it. But you're doing the SAT every year. Oh, you know, that's like, hilarious. <laughs> I feel like I'm in Groundhog Day where I have to do it over and over again until I get it right, you right. know, until, uh, until I can, you know, until not getting the right score, I mean, but but doing it 
from my heart, doing it in a way that doesn't stress me out. And so that's what I try to teach the kids. I mean, the SAT, if you think about it, it's one of the most stressful hoops they have to jump through. Mm-hmm. I try to hold their hand while they do it and teach them that even in this stressful experience, you can A, stay relaxed and B, build self-confidence, you know. Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful gift that you're giving them. That's a, it's a wonderful approach that, that uh, you have because, you know, it's, it's um, just understanding or slowly understanding the system here and the educational system here, because I do have a little one. It, it is quite gru- grueling for them, you know, even at the start, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's almost like that pounding of, of uh, information that they're just pounding into them. And it's so, uh, well, the schools are beginning to change now, but some, so much of it is still so structured because they need to fit everything in all the time at a certain curriculum. And you know, uh, sadly enough, we are all not built the same <laughs> to intake that information. Yeah, my, my kids go to uh, Waldorf school. Do you ah, know about that? Yes. Huge fan of it. And I, I, feel like, um, I feel like the Waldorf school is so good at keeping the spark alive. I mean, that's what we really want, right? We want people yes. passionate and alive. And I feel like Waldorf really nurtures that, you know, the um, just creativity, you know, I, just and and artistic expression and passion. Mm-hmm. That's what I really want. You know, when I when I see a 16 or a 17 year old who kind of doesn't have that spark in their eyes, you know, I it makes I, I really want to see that for them. You know, I want to see them got you know gusto. Yes. Um, sometimes the educational system doesn't support that. Yeah, but I, I and I was also at home. You know, even even if they were in a very stringent system. You know, what happens at home is, I, I believe, is very powerful. You know, how uh, we as parents have to take responsibility, too, um, to keep that gusto going, you know, <laughs> because it's for us as well, right? right? It's the as much as the school system. That's a very good point. I mean, the school system is just a manifestation of the culture. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the parents' responsibility to, to, to nurture the soul in that way, the spark. So for you, here you are every day at the New Leaf Learning Center. Now, when do you get to teach and practice your yoga, meditation, and your healing arts? Uh, well, first of all, I have two little kids. So, uh, you know, time definitely at a premium. Uh, <laughs> do you mean when do I practice it on myself or when do I teach to other people? Do you, do you still teach it? Do you still practice your healing arts? So I, I practice myself a ton. I'll talk about that in a minute. But as far as teaching it, well, I do it mostly through my students at the center. I, I made that transition a while back where I actually, you know, as I said, I incorporate the breathing exercises and the Bach flower remedies and the things like that when appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, just through the approach that I take with the students, I found I found over the years, and this might change. I mean, um, you know, things always shift and change. And even the book actually might open up different avenues of what I do. But I found that um, years ago when I was teaching yoga full time, actually, I found that my specialty, for whatever reason, was not the really uh, adept, really, uh, you know, the yogis who were really into it already. Um, You know, I found that I wasn't like a Rolf Gates or somebody like that who – you know, who's, who's just so skilled at teaching to yoga teachers, for example, I found that my real gift was I'd go into corporations, for example, uh, companies would hire me like ETS and mm-hmm. I'd go in and I'd 
lunchtime yoga, stress management, you know, stretch and, and release yoga, um, and people who had never done yoga before, and they'd come in and they would just unwind, they would just unfold, you know, oh, great. yoga with the colitis, you know, and I found that for whatever reason, that was my real, you know, niche, that was my specialty. And it's the same with the students, you know, my specialty with them is just helping them, helping them use this, this experience, you know, academics, SAT prep, um, or just study skills as a way of, of, you know, getting in touch with themselves in a way of, of learning how to be in the fire, but not let it eat you up. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. The way you just articulated that be in the uh, fire and don't let it eat you up. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Um, so now what adventures are you doing, taking on now? Are there any in the forefront here away from, I mean, your book just launched. Uh, just launched, but no. Um, so this book is called Misadventures of a Garden State Yogi. Right here. Uh, there, there it is. <laughs> and so that, so that book covers uh, when I was like uh, 16, basically, when I you know, came down with colitis through about age 30 or so. Um, and then I'm actually writing a new book now, uh, which uh, won't be out for a while. But this book that I'm working on is called Misadventures of a Parenting Yogi. I love it. <laughs> I get the first copy, okay? <laughs> and so... As you know now, uh, you know, there are many, many adventures to being a parenting yogi. So that's easy. You know, the book writes itself, really. So that, that my current adventures and misadventures are of, of being a yogi parent. Oh, fabulous. Fabulous. I love that. <laughs> I, I know a whole core of individuals that is going to really appreciate that one. <laughs> that's wonderful and how long did it take you to write the um this this one that is out right now the garden um, state yogi long time um see i'm not sure exactly but i mean over uh a year year and a half something like that a long time actually that's not bad i mean with two little ones running around having your learning center to take care of that's not bad <laughs> uh, it seems long because the other books you know, the vocabulary workbooks, they were much quicker. You know, those only took a few months, but this is a very different book. So you're right. I think a year and a half is pretty, pretty normal amount of time. Yes. Yes. And especially with, with this one, I'm sure you had to go back into your journals and, and yeah. kind of research a little bit here and there. Right. Whereas yeah. now with the parenting yogi, I would think that's daily. <laughs> it's your daily journal that we'll be following. And it's true, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know if you ever think about how, how old is your, you have one Five. child? Oh my gosh, yes, so mine are six and three. And, you know, I, I often think it's funny that, um, you know, it's, life is very busy and wonderful and full and crazy, but, you know, so, and, and so full and busy with kids. Um, so it, it's true. I mean, I can't just take a Saturday and write for 10 hours, yes. you know, that just happened. Um, although in a weird way, I'm more productive now than I was, you know, when I, before I had kids and I had all kinds of free time available right. to me. So well, as they say, give you know, give the job to someone who's already busy, and it'll get done. <laughs> Funny, so. right? Motion begets motion. Is just that whole effect? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this, uh, I'm very much looking forward to your next book. <laughs> yeah. So, Correct. Brian, um, uh, is there is there anything else that you would like to share with the community and our listeners here? Um, let's see. Um, not that I can think of. Uh, I mean, I, 
uh, let's see, I can tell you a funny story. Do you want to hear a funny story? Absolutely. You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more funny stories. I love it. So we were talking about the, um, we were talking about, uh, earlier I was talking about how, you know, I was studying Kripalu Yoga in Hoboken. And then when Amrit was asked to leave, I was really devastated and I went on this cross-country trip. And so the first thing I did, I, I meant to say this earlier, that's why I thought of it. The first thing I did was, um, I, so, so, so this friend and I bought a van and we kind of rigged it up to go on this trip. And um, my first stop, it was like a little pilgrimage for me. My first stop was in Maryland, uh, outside where Georgetown is in D.C. I wanted to visit my first yoga teacher. And... Uh, I wanted to sort of lay it out and ask him what to do. You know, he seemed very holy to me. He always wore all whites and he wore these sandals and he had a mm. big beard. And I just thought maybe he'll know. So we got in the van and we went on our trip and this was the first stop. And I found where he was. You know, Yoga Journal had a list of teachers and studios and things. And I found where he was and I called him and he said, come on by. And I went there and he brought me in and we were talking. And so I told him about Amrit and about Kripalu and my, you know, how devastated I was. And he started telling me stuff. And, uh, you know, he told me that I, I was an old soul and that I was called to do yoga, which was wonderful. You know, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, and he, he was great. And then suddenly I realized that his eyes were half closed as he was talking to me. And somewhere, and, you know, this isn't correct, but somewhere someone had told me at Georgetown, somebody was doing a paper on enlightenment, whatever that is, you know, had told me that uh, when a person is enlightened, their eyes are half closed because uh, they're still relaxed. And so I thought I did it, you know. I found my teacher, you know, my first stop on the trip and I'm done. You know, I found my <laughs> fairy tale because he was my first teacher. So I thought this is it. I succeeded, you know. And so I said to him, um, you know, while I'm in town, uh, I would love to, uh, you know, to maybe come to Georgetown or, or wherever you're teaching outside of Georgetown. I'd love to take your class and be part of it. And, you know, I was really like excited and I just thought he's going to take me in. And I'm, you know, I give Zach the van, my friend, you know, I was traveling, give him the van. I'm all done. And so it was so funny because the teacher looked at me and he said, um, he said, you know, Brian, uh, he had a very deep voice, very good for relaxation, you know. And uh, he said, Brian, I would love to have you take my class. But the problem is I just had cataract surgery and, uh, <laughs> and I can't see, you know, I can barely see. And he had, you know, I have drops in my eyes and the doctor will let me teach for two weeks. And so that's why his eyes are half closed, you know. And uh, just a great lesson, you know. It was, you know, uh, I say in the book, it was a good lesson a reminder that, you know, I wasn't looking for a guru. I had to stop looking just for guru. You know, it was, my whole process has been about, you know, being reverent and being respectful of Swami Kripalu and, and gurus, but also just of getting in touch with myself. You know, I think in being so out of touch with myself, what I really wanted was to follow someone else, mm -hmm. but to find myself, you know, I think that's, that's our work in general. Yeah. Yes. Well, isn't that uh, amazing that you say that? Because um, just recently we also uh, interviewed uh, the Himalayan Siddha masters that uh, were here in Los Angeles. And that is the first thing they say. It's not about the guru. It's about the guru in oneself. And that's what they're helping people through meditation strive towards. <laughs> she used to say that, actually. I'm told that he was a big proponent of that, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know what other people would say about this, but some people even say that his fall was really to remove himself so people could find themselves, you know. Ah. I don't know. People who've been in Kripalu much longer than me would feel about that, but uh, it's interesting, you know. So he was a big proponent of that. I, I think, yeah, I think you're right.
Well, so, well, so Brian, we're coming up to the top of our hour here. How do people look for you? How can they get in touch with you, find out more about your book and follow you? Because you're, you're doing a, a blog, a blog, what do you call it? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. A blog. Store. So, um, I mean, first of all, if they just Google, you know, Brian Leaf Yoga, they're going to find all kinds of hits, I think. Um, my website is misadventuresofayogi.com. There's some hyphens in there, misadventures hyphen of hyphen, uh, hyphen yogi.com. So they can go to my website. Uh, my Facebook page is, um, misadventures of a yogi, um, on Facebook. Um, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, but I think if they Google Brian Leaf Yoga or Misadventures of a Yogi, they're sure to find me. Okay, great. Because what we'll also do is we'll have a link on our, our page that will actually take them straight there after they see the interview. So we'll make it easy for everybody. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for spending this time with us, sharing your stories with us. And and really, um, I, I can't recommend your book, you know, to... To, I recommend it to everybody. It's it's so wonderful. It's humorous. It really gives such a wonderful light spin on yoga. You know, it's not daunting as some of the books can be, but you really, you know, the energy you give to it, um, the lessons that you give through it is it's really a wonderful, wonderful book. And congratulations. And, and we wish you all the best uh, on this book. And hopefully we can help to help you promote it even further. Thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure. This was a lot of fun to talk to you. Thank you, Ryan. And of course, I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us and supporting us in this new platform of education and information. You know, we are always grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to supporting you better. So please contact us at yogahub.com if you have any questions or comments, and we'll do our best uh, to reply promptly. And of course, as you very well know, um, through the site and at the end of this show, there is also a little comment box at the bottom of the screen where you can also type questions in and we can forward those to Brian as well. So an, a reminder to you, we invite you every Tuesday at 10.30 Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time for our magical medical tour with our wonderful co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. And Wednesdays here at uh, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for Trinity of Life. And now every other Wednesday, we will also have a new show um, with uh, Anatara, Anatara, basically, which is uh, giving insights every other week. So, uh, and that follows the Trinity of Life show. Thank you again for joining us this week. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. And until then, namaste. Namaste.